podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. This is chapter five and six of an audio novella, an in-progress audio novella, Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. Definitely start from chapter one. This isn't something to just start in the middle of. It's a story that I've been working on that I got the vision for during a vacation with friends at the start of my seventh house year, rolled by Mercury, and the transmission came through to write this story. And I'm definitely having a very alchemical and soul-retrieving kind of process with it. And I'm very grateful for you listening and tuning into this and sharing this with me. So chapter five and chapter six. Chapter five. Two days after my dad died, Aiden received an invite to a farm party and called me up to extend the invitation. I was unsure about going out, but Aiden said, you can grieve, and you will be grieving for a while. Years. You can also keep living. It's okay to go to this party. He was right. A long, dark drive away from the city lights and into the farmlands. We snack on psychedelic mushrooms. I was a little bit timid, and Aiden shrugged. I'm always happy to journey with mushrooms, he says. There was no pressure, but I did want to lean into all of this life being offered to me. I am becoming more nocturnal with Aiden. Aiden, who is the last one up at parties at sunrise. Aiden trancing out playing music until the sun comes up. Aiden beginning his day and caffeinating around 4 p.m. The evening I'd first gone to his New Year's party, he was like a lightning bolt in the night. The brightest sight in my field of vision. We sat across from each other at the kitchen table, and he reflected my passion for astrology and business. It's so good to get obsessed with projects, he said. I go crazy with how obsessed I get with art. His skeleton flashed itself to me through his skin. And while I saw before me a bone man, and my body was lit with desire for him because I knew I wanted him, I felt too that I would hate him deeply someday. I saw that in his bones, but not in a way that felt prohibitive. Somehow, our conversation brought us to a recollection of his, where he'd been on the road, driving away from an old life, and a girlfriend he'd just broken up with, crying, and I felt him telegraphing me the message of his sensitivity, his emotionality, but I was unnerved at the vision of him driving away. It confirmed for me that I could hate him someday. We were on the road, on the way to the farm party. We spoke of many things, weaving in and out of intense shares about our past, about my dad, about his dad, more whimsical memories or irreverent thoughts also. I told him I get angry internally when non-initiates to astrology say untrue or ignorant things or have strong opinions against astrology. Even if I don't or shouldn't take it personally, it still bothers me, even if I hide it. He told me a little bit about doing peyote with the ex-girlfriend he'd told me about on New Year's, the one he drove away from, how merged they were, 
from living together and doing peyote ceremonies often, how weird and shadowy and unhealthy things became with her, but how peyote helped him. He'd be remembering his dad's abuse and then throw up, and the guide would say he was getting better. We talked about our past relationships, past sex. I told him about the ex-spy I used to be with. We felt so contented in each other's company. Eden always wanted to share everything without filter to test the boundaries of what could be comfortable. I want you to be comfortable doing anything, he'd say in his house, suddenly squatting on the ground and springing back up into a leap. He never bent down to grab anything. He squatted in functional movement form. An acrobat could do a backflip in place. Everyone was more stressed out than him. He was existing in the space of a long, contented sigh <sighs> of rubbing a piece of silk ribbon over his lips, of merging with the relaxation of his massage clients, of merging with the pleasure of his lover, of eating things experimentally in the woods, not at all concerned that something could be poison. He just trusts his body to acclimate, falling asleep with his dogs nestled in fur by the heat of the wood stove of playing didgeridoo for hours until it becomes a full-on shamanic trance, occasionally leaving his body for a split second to become another person, on another timeline, in another reality, and then coming back to his body and that just being interesting and fascinating. The thing that he felt most uncomfortable about was other people's stiffness. And if he was invested in the person, he'd go out of his way to regulate them, like a snake charmer. We felt so content on this drive, mushrooms just barely waving, settling in, driving through blackness and the darkest shades of green. I feel so comfortable with you, he says, and so turned on by you. When we arrived, leaving our own bubble felt like such a transition. The farmhouse was massive, labyrinth-like on the inside. We first joined a group of people splayed out by a fire, a couch, a rug, pillows. We see one of Aiden's friends, a man just as tall as him and similarly golden. At a moment that I'm hungry, no sooner a piece of kale floats before my face as an offering from someone, and I felt it was my dad somehow, our psychic connection about food. Everyone at the farmhouse was beautiful in a way that I found less scary and intimidating than at the Los Angeles mansion. People seemed like they'd been outside all day and had dirty feet but yogic, robust presence in their bodies, in their willingness to touch the earth, them merging with the sun, people wearing overalls, mullets, lots of tattoos and not a lot of makeup, people glowing, freckled, smiling. Aiden and I separated, naturally. It was important to Aiden that we not act like a couple that always clings to each other, but that we could readily connect with many new people. And I like the invitation to step into that. Aiden disappears with his friend and I approach a circle of people I don't know. A man with baby-like skin was talking about an island off the coast of Washington. Native people live there and no outsiders can penetrate the center of the island. He almost had the aura of telling a ghost story, like a flashlight underneath the chin. He spoke of a group of college students, arrogant, wanting to try to get to the center of the island anyway, but something, something, stops them. But what, he doesn't exactly reveal. 
No one can penetrate the center of the island, not just because it's a rule, but because something more magical or otherworldly is happening. And these people who had tried to intrude were both humbled and frightened by what they saw. It occurs to me that perhaps a skyscraper in New York follows certain rules of reality, that it's a social construction all the same. But an island, with people living in a different and deeper relationship with the land and spirits, may have other ways of enacting and creating boundaries that a normal person here in this cultural reality would not even believe in, especially if they had the arrogance to try to trespass. It does not seem like a ghost story or a spooky legend the way he tells it, but more of a statement on the mutability of Saturn, the mutability of reality itself. Then the same man is sharing his expertise on another topic, something niche that I can't remember. But in my boundaryless, psychedelic space, he was suddenly endearing to me, like it was cute. He was sharing knowledge, and I asked how he learned all of that, like if he studied it at college, the college we both went to, Evergreen. Record skip. He seemed disturbed, like I had broken the fourth wall of a performance. He'd meant to impress, he was clearly regaling us, but maybe had not meant to be acknowledged so frankly, so directly perhaps even patronizingly. His eyes rapidly darted back and forth, side to side as he groaned, uh, 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 uh. and on one side that his eyes darted to, there hovered a blue light, twinkling in place like a firework. The blue lights that I see that relate to resonance. And on the other side that his eyes darted to, a black splotch with a thin halo, a black light as I called them, the ones I see when people are lying. I realized in this moment he was deciding whether or not to tell the truth or to lie. To an innocent question I asked that had flustered him, by innocent I don't mean I lacked fault in being a weirdo, but just that I had no ill intent. Eventually he says that he didn't study it formally, but I hadn't been able to track where his eyes had finally landed. But I was so excited, anyway, that this occurred, because my psychic vision had never shown me someone deliberating between truth and lie before. Aiden and I explored outside, running into a friend of mine and her best friend, ride or die, hitchhike in the middle of nowhere, best friend. We run out with them into a boundless field as far as the horizon under the stars. On our way back, we see a cement and metal structure that is run down looking compared to everything else, and Aiden says he saw it in his dream that morning. We see the farm pigs and piglets. Aiden had me climb and sit atop his shoulders, and carrying me up high in the air, he walked us over to a group of men standing around a jeep and talking. We engaged in Aiden's propensity and gift for small talk, which rang to me as a foreign language that I was trying to understand. How does he talk about things so lightly, so pleasantly? How do you even generate thoughts at that wavelength in real time? I watched them go like a sport, tossing a ball back and forth. Incidentally, one of the men says something conflating astrology with pseudoscience, with much self-assured confidence, and I felt as though I had fangs that were sharpening inside of my closed mouth. How banal it was to talk with people. But at that very moment, Aiden began to purposefully massage my legs that were hanging over his torso and I knew he was deliberately calming me, and I felt so loved, protected, 
I got a chance to say something about astrology and being an astrologer, casually, and the man acted disarmed. His eyes were soft, and he received my perspective like a light, curious coin in the palm of one's hand, glinting in the sun. And I recognized the source of this ripple coming from Aiden, relaxing me, relaxing the field. And my reception of him changes my life and the way the environment responds to me. Back inside, late into the night, almost sunrise, Aiden and I were by another fireplace in the house and he told me that his roommates who owned the house were looking for another person to move in and they'd all talked about it and it could be me. My heart lit on fire. I was an eager yes without needing to think. Feeling drunk, feeling like I only ever wanted to be around Aiden, to wake up in the same home as him every day, make food together, walk his dogs in the woods together, create our art and businesses together, be together. Let's think about it and talk about it, he tempers me. All that Libra. But I was already decided, and I wasn't sure I'd ever been happier. We fell asleep sharing Aiden's sleeping bag, and while with anyone else in my life I'd had trouble falling asleep, preferring to be alone, normally princess in the pea, persnickety, stuck in my own comfort routines, my whole animal body was in love with Aiden and melted with him seamlessly. We woke to a decadent farm-to-table breakfast and explored the grounds again in the daylight. I meet a brown and white spotted cow, a fence between us, and I'm overcome with the strangest feeling that she came here to earth to give of her body, to be eaten. She seemed so surrendered to being devoured. I am not trying to be biblical, to see all of earth as a playground for man. But still, there is something about this cow, and I don't even know the farm's plans for her if they intend to eat her or not. Something about this cow gives me the transmission of fundamental okayness inside of a world where we eat and are eaten. Her heaviness sinks into the earth, her heavy eyes, her image sinks into my soul like a boulder dropping into water and reflecting a rippling, fluffy sky. Chapter 6 I had made my desire known to Aiden that he come with me to the funeral. I'd squirmed in the complexity of the knowledge that this would accelerate our intimacy this being before he invited me to move in, and this acceleration which I of course wanted, but was not wanting him to feel flighty or obligated. But he said yes. We glided through the airport, air travel normally feeling like an occasion of tiredness in my bones, heaviness, but he carries my things, watches my things anytime I need to get something. He is buoyant and joyful and says he hasn't been in an airport in more than a decade. He doesn't have a lot of money. The more I get to know him, the more I learn of his dumpster diving habits, his visits to the food bank, his priority to feed his dogs before he feeds himself, his paycheck to paycheck life. My mom had paid for this trip for the both of us. And he was like a kid in the airport, a multidimensional being, the adult in him holding my grief, the kid in him inviting me to play. On the plane, we had the window in the middle seat, Aiden at the window, a joy I wished him to have since he wasn't on planes much, me in the middle, and of course some blur I have forgotten sitting next to me. 
Aiden and I started making out and the connection down through the channel of my body and up through the channels of my energetic bodies is lit up immediately. I'm swirling through a tunnel of yellow light, which is quickly popped by an angry flight attendant frowning wildly at us. This is not a motel. This is a public space. After she admonishes us, we just laugh and laugh. Aiden tells me about flying, how he flew planes as a kid with his grandpa, and how his grandpa would turn off the plane in the sky, if I remember correctly, just to make Aiden think on his feet and save them from crashing. Aiden laughs, a pleasant memory, his grandfather such a character and a legend to him. He tells me about how most people think air is nothing, like it's just emptiness you're waving your hand through, an empty space, but it's really a bunch of stuff. He grabs at the air, and there's different currents of airspeed and temperature and humidity that makes currents in the air a lot like you have currents in the ocean. I finally tell Aiden about the wish I'd made and how my crown had opened up and a beam of light went up to the sky. I confided in him about my last relationship and how my body had ached, and I told him all my pain was gone now. The trip itself is a blur that I can only speak of impressionistically. My brother picks us up from the airport. My brother would so easily sense the fault or the magic of anyone I introduced him to, a judge. But I trust Aiden, and surely I watch my brother relax, the car moving as though a tunnel through familiar scenery, but this time I've brought someone home for the first time. We arrive through the front door of my childhood home, hug my grieving mother, newly widowed, and her just unraveling, not losing it, but unraveling. Her life has changed in a traumatic way. She perceives Aiden's hair in a bun, a man bun. She's never seen one before, just heard of them, and it concerns her slightly. But Aiden has this presence, she comes to realize. She realizes he is super easy to talk to, charismatic, an interesting conversationalist. He was on. He was just there. He never checked out emotionally. He was right there. She continues to assess Strong personality, but not opinionated. Very comfortable in himself. Confident, but not conceited. A real source of strength for her daughter. And for her. He knew just what to say, was calming, was a pillar of strength. She thinks, normally it takes a while to warm up to people, but by the time the trip is over, she thinks he's just amazing. And I watch it happen too. The way my excessively charming lover lights up everyone, including my mom, and she can begin to place him as a potential future husband for me, a potential future son for her. It's not so much a wait and see, but at an instinctual level, she feels it. And for any amount of conflict she and I ever had, we always had in common being romantics. I came home still slightly feeling in exile, still holding a grudge which was put to the side for the occasion, maybe even melted. I came home still feeling unseen, unrecognized, forced to act as a normal person, and not really related to for my magic. And Aiden becomes this cipher, a link between my family and I. And even as he acts perfectly, in our private conversations, he does not gloss over or deny or himself not perceive my truth. He comes into my life, my childhood home, 
like a psychic spider, like his hands that can feel the whole energetic system in the body, like his precognitive dreams, like the way he just knows things about people when he touches them. He begins to map my psychology, my relationship with my family, where I felt nourished and unseen, the deficits, the patterns of conversation in the family unit and what it means about all of us. The funeral is called a tribute and it occurs the day after we arrive and have settled. Like a dream, it's almost as though everyone I've ever known is there in one room. People come up to me to apologize for my loss. I actually feel energetically buffered by everyone in the same way that people have been bringing me food, but now it's just everyone I know in a room. Aiden is helping set up, carrying heavy things, almost saving us from a tech meltdown before the tribute begins. And when I get up to speak, I feel everyone's eyes attentive. I share what I wrote and accidentally drop the mic after because I'm not conscious that dropping it back on the podium will make a booming sound, and I walk away. I listen to countless stories of my dad, some from people I don't even know. And at the very end, even Aiden speaks. As he approaches the stage, my heartbeat accelerates. I'm anxious. What is he doing? But he says something like, I didn't get to know Richard in life. I came here in support with Sabrina, but I feel I have gotten to know him through all of these beautiful shares. People come back to the house after. My grandpa, some of my mom's friends, and mostly my brother's friends, actors and comedians, entertainers, always such intensely fun and witty people to be around. Again, I take pride in Aiden's ability to talk and joke with everyone, and somehow I feel everyone's approval everyone's happiness that I'm with someone so amazing. The next day, a boat ride to scatter the ashes. Lined up in the harbor, I see my dad's brother who was overcast. Not Richard. He always fought. He always wanted to live. He cannot see himself returning to golf, which they did together, and out of grief, he doesn't for years. It's a small group of us, family, close family friends, and also Aiden. We all grab a handful of my dad's ashes to throw out into the sea, followed by a red rose. Aiden takes a handful of my dad's ashes and throws them into the sea. That night back at the house, Aiden feels the need to go for a run to move energy. He gets dressed in athletic clothes and goes out into the night. When he comes back, we go for a walk together to the park I grew up next to, a huge field with a paved path encircling it, lined with tall bushes, rabbits hopping across the dewy grass and intermittently hiding in the brush. Ever since my dad died, my psychic friends have been relaying messages from him to me. I was the only one in the family afforded this privilege, and really the only one with faith and belief in this kind of way. In an immediate sense, my dad's passing hit me the gentlest between my brother, mom, and I because I was still talking to his soul and I was feeling his life recycle. Now Aiden had a message. Streaming tears down his face, he tells me many things. He tells me that my dad feels grief that he didn't teach us all how to be more vulnerable. It was simple, but... 
It rang true at a deep place within me. It wasn't something that was easy to say to many people, and I feared being shamed or accused of having bad character, but I wasn't sure how much I missed him yet. I felt an obvious grief, but also an ambivalence, like him being gone gone wasn't that much different than him being here. That maybe now I was even freer to relate to his spirit. And how did that happen? Well, in some sense, I was still playing a character, still strategically withholding information that would alarm my parents and limit my freedoms, still just saying the right things to make my life easier. So it dropped some acknowledgement that I also wasn't close to him, that for some years of my life, he'd felt like a big mystery to me. I would sometimes knock at a milky, opaque glass window, asking what was there beyond the surface, and I never found anything. He wasn't hiding anything, and I always was hiding things. My fogging, my shielding, my smoke and mirrors hardly aroused the slightest suspicion, and so I felt unknown. And perhaps if things were different, if I'd gotten older and gotten to relate to him as an adult, and not just a dependent, maybe we would have come to know one another more deeply. Maybe I would have confided in him in crisis. Maybe if he had lived past this health crisis and gotten to live into the opening that we'd all seen, the way his health cracked him open, maybe I would have gotten to know more of him. He had sacrificed so much to provide for us and I was getting to live a dream life. And I think toward the end of his life, he really valued that I was so courageous in how I was taking risks and choosing an unconventional life. And it was made possible by him and his sacrifices and his work, and he didn't blame me for it. He died while I was in a developmental phase of differentiating from my parents. So what of our closeness with me as an adult? That wasn't a timeline that I'd get to know. Our relationship was just simple just pleasant. He was always there. He always came through for me. And there was a distance. But such a massive net held this drop. There was Aiden. There was the burgeoning love. There was the magic of this weekend. There was the community. There was the people bringing me food. There was the blooming that my life was in. The next day we all had breakfast, my mom, brother, Aiden, and I. Aiden and I went to the backyard, which you can see from the kitchen, and Aiden guided me into some acro yoga poses that he, for the most part, was doing the work of. He lifted me onto his shoulders and had me stand on his shoulders, his arms upstretched to hold my hands and steady me. My mom took photos. Any and all moments with Aiden seemed to fill this enormous gap in my interior life my inner child and inner teenager, and how she had filled these halls, how often joyless and in despair she was, how much she wanted a bigger life, to be adored, to be cherished. And here suddenly standing on his shoulders, we were also performing a surgery on time itself. Before going out for the day, my mom spoke to me privately in her room. We stood before the mirror in her bathroom so that there were four of us, me and her and our reflections. She speaks to me in a hushed voice about how overjoyed she is about Aiden. You know what they say? It's the worst of times and the best of times. 
Charles Dickens, I think. Charles Dickens says that. The grief of death seems to open her even more to the joy of new life. I see her grappling with that complexity of how intense the grief is and yet how excited she is for my new love. Aiden is just amazing, she says. I'm so happy for the both of you. And we're just gushing together. Like no matter what has come between us, we can always share this romanticism. She is genuinely overjoyed at my joy and somehow romance is the language we both understand. I wanted to offer Aiden something with your permission, Sabrina, she says. We are going to be giving dad's car away or selling it. And I know Aiden doesn't have a car. I want to offer him the car, or if he doesn't want the car, the money from the car when we sell it. But I know it's a new relationship, and I just wanted you to think about it and let me know. I would want to offer this with no strings attached. It's of course not dependent on the relationship working out because we can't control these things, but I only want to make the offer to him if you're comfortable with it, Sabrina. In the moment, I wasn't really thinking of self-preservation or what ifs or what if things don't work out with Aiden or how will I feel about this? Is it truly a gift with no strings attached? In a more lofty, kind of blown out way, I thought, who am I to stand in the way of this exchange? And him becoming part of our family felt like a sweeping gesture of correcting anything and everything that had ever been wrong with my life. I was jumping out of my skin. My mom took Aiden and I and my grandpa out for pedicures. My grandpa needed a lot of convincing. Aiden, none. Aiden loved face masks and spa days and even makeup. We went out for acai bowls at a place called Bowl of Heaven, aptly. And then there was the flight home. Aiden, I say, my mom told me this weekend she wants to give you a gift. She really liked you and liked the way you were showing up for me and all of us. And she didn't want it to feel weird or like there were strings attached. She knows anything could happen, but as a gift, she wants to give you my dad's car or the money from the car if she sells it. It's up to you. I watch him breathe and really take this in. Wow, he says, that's so generous. I have to tell you, when I was talking to Spirit about whether or not I should come on this trip with you, I felt my guidance wanted me to open to receiving like I didn't come because I knew I would be receiving a gift, but I kind of felt that would happen. I think I'm learning so much at this time in my life about how to be more receptive, and you're helping teach me that, just by the way that you are, but also the experiences we're having together. Like to really receive all of this, not just the gift, but the power of the ceremony of being with your dad's passing, our love, it's a lot and it's changing me. I had a dream this morning it sounds really weird, but it made total sense in the dream. Everything we experienced this weekend, all the magic, the whirlwind, was collected into giant cosmic tacos. And we just pulled the tortillas over ourselves like blankets, he laughed. I dreamt, I said excitedly, this morning of a pill jar, like Pepto-Bismol or whatever for indigestion, but it was called Pepto-Cosmo. And we laughed and laughed, legs kicking in the seat, tails wagging, eyes shaped like crescent moons, crying. Our radical, unbelievable happiness and gratitude sent like a prayer up into the ether as we flew home. 